Bart, I've asked you not to whistle that annoying tune. And welcome once again to Simpsons is Greater Than, a Simpsons podcast where we take a look at every single thing that has to do with those yellow, spiky-haired, big teeth, no chin-having characters that you all love. I know I do. The Simpsons. As always, I am your host, Warren, better known to some of you as Bart of Darkness, you just might have seen my Simpsons collection on Instagram or Twitter. Be honest, it's great, isn't it? Go ahead and say it's great if you want to. But if you haven't, it's never too late. Just go to at Bart of Darkness, wherever you prefer, and check it out for me, please. So this week on the podcast, I decided to bring back Bill Morrison. I had Bill on the podcast way back in episode 14. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, I don't know why you're jumping in now but that's okay, but do yourself a personal favor and slide back to that episode, check it out, and then maybe come back to this one, or do whatever you want, because this is just a podcast and I'm not your boss. But either way, we're going to start it now. Bill Morrison returns, episode 32. Let's go. You know, at some point, I'm staring at your collection, so I might come up with a, hey, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> At some point in the podcast, but uh, right now I'm good. Now, you can ask me whatever you want, Bill. You probably drew half of this, so you can just ask probably, me whatever. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> there's one. Oh, no, that's to do the Bartman. Yeah, the the like promo copy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I drew that. <laughs> or maybe I did. I don't know. You, I, you, you had to have done Sing the Blues, right? Yeah, I did yeah. that one. Yeah. And I'm curious, we'll, we'll get into this in the episode, but I feel like those are the same faces that they used on a lot of merchandise or are they just similar? Well, I know we did, we did use that concept a number of times where it's just the faces kind of coming in off the side. Yeah. You know, we did a, we did a Fox poster, like a season, I think it was like a season premiere poster. It seems like there's something we did for Simpsons Illustrated that was like that. I think so. For some reason, um, there's a lot of UK stuff and, and, uh, for some reason that used that, like it was very indicative of like UK mm-hmm. merchandise. Um, it was like a dead giveaway if it had the faces coming in from the side that like, Oh, that's gotta be from, you know, vivid imaginations or Wesco <laughs> or one of these like UK companies, uh, for some reason they did that, but, huh. but you know, Hey, whatever, we'll, we'll talk about all that bill. And I, you know, okay. I, I want to thank you for coming back on the podcast. This is actually the first time I've had someone come back for a second episode. So uh, congratulations on that. Really? Yeah. I'm honored. It's just like an SNL thing where I get a jacket if I'm. Oh, once, once you're, once you're on 15 times, you get 15? like, a, you get like a special name tag. That's, that's kind of a high threshold, I think. <laughs> I think you could bring that down a little bit. Okay. I'll bring it down to 10. I'll bring it down to okay. 10. Uh, okay. <laughs> Well, so I don't even know if this was, uh, I don't know if this is something that I was doing uh, back then, a whole whole 16 episodes ago, but the first question I ask everybody these days, because I I like to check in on everyone, 
How are you, Bill? How are, how are you doing in your, in your everyday life? I'm, I'm doing well. Um, I'm past my two weeks, past my second shot, Mark. Congratulations. So I'm bulletproof and uh, <laughs> I'm working on a lot of fun stuff. So I'm good. Weather's good here. I'm in Michigan, if, if anybody doesn't know that. And we had snow yesterday. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was weird because the weather got really great, beautiful spring weather. And then suddenly we've got snow. But, you know, it kind of melted off quick. Well, if there's one thing we've learned uh, from 2020 is that nothing has any any rules anymore. The weather, nothing nothing follows any sort of uh, pattern. It just does what it wants. I mean, even in Florida, I mean, it's it's almost May. And uh, it was like 50 degrees today. And that's in Florida. So I, I don't know what's going on everywhere, you know? Yeah, it's real topsy-turvy, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, we're rolling with it. Yeah. No, nah, we're going we're gonna to make it through, Bill. I, I believe in us. At least you and I will. I don't know yeah. about everybody else, but we're going to make it. Uh, well, you, you mentioned, you know, that you've been working on a lot of different stuff. So what are you working on? What other things have you been doing lately? Uh, I'm doing some posters for Marvel. I don't know if you call them posters. More like prints, limited edition prints. Kind of stuff they sell in uh, pop culture galleries, animation art galleries, you know, Mondo type stuff. Oh, very cool. So I'm doing a bunch of those. Um, I just finished a book that I can't talk about. So why did I even mention it? I don't know. (laughs) Just tease you because I'm a big tease. Um, What else? I'm I'm actually doing a, a Simpsons project. Oh, man. That just like an internal thing. So it's not something that'll be on the market. So it's going to be one of those things that will be on eBay in 20 years and it'll it'll be worth a fortune because only, (laughs) you know, like only 50 people got one. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, Bill, hopefully you're just going to smuggle me one to the side. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to pray for that. You know, part of the deal is that I get some samples. So I, I will certainly do that. Hey, I like that. I like that. Yeah, I can't wait to see what that is. What uh, What are some of the posters that you've been doing? What are What are some of the specifics on that? I pitched a bunch of them. The first one I'm doing is a Spider-Man poster. And uh, I don't know if we covered this last time, but uh, my first job in Hollywood was doing movie posters. So the the concepts that I pitched are kind of like vintage retro movie posters, you know, for various Marvel characters. So this one's kind of a 70s Spider-Man Ooh. looking thing. Um, I've got some other ones coming up, Captain America and the Avengers and um, Thor. That's awesome. Iron Man. So, uh, yeah, so that's a lot of fun. I grew up, um, I actually grew up reading DC comics, mainly because I was a Batman freak. So that was, you know, it was a given that I was going to buy Batman comics. <laughs> Or that my, you know, I was going to beg my parents for Batman comics. You're right. But the store where my dad took me to buy comic books didn't carry Marvel. Uh, they had everything else. They had, you know, Archie and Donald Duck and Richie Rich and everything else um, along with DC, but they didn't have Marvel. So I sort of grew up not really being into Marvel because it wasn't, you know, I just didn't have access to it. Other than stuff I saw on TV, you know, like the animated cartoons. So I knew who the characters were. I just, you know, wasn't related to them. Um, and then when I was like about 12, uh, my sister's, a friend of my sister's came over and she had this small stack of comics. And she said, my brother was getting rid of these. And I know you like comic books. So I thought you might 
want these. And it was, I was all excited at first because it was like, all right, you know, new comics I haven't read. Great. And then um, I realized they were Marvels and I just went, uh, <laughs> and I think my biggest, you know, like you have prejudice against things that you don't understand or you've kind of seen, but you don't really know much about. So my prejudice against Marvel was that the characters didn't like the Fantastic Four didn't have masks or capes and they all wore the same uniform. Just so boring. <laughs> it's just boring. Yeah. And so, you know, an Iron Man, he's just kind of like a robot. I thought, you know, I right. know. <laughs> and Thor, you know, again, no mask. He had the capes, which, you know, he had a cape, which was cool, but no mask. So anyway, the comics that this um, friend of my sister's gave me were Thor and Iron Man. And I was just kind of like, Ugh. you know, so I put them in my room and I didn't read them. And then along came a rainy day and I didn't have anything to do. So I picked those up and I started reading them. And I realized, whoa, these, you know, these are written for someone my age. Right. These are not, you know, I mean, I'd kind of already outgrown the DC comics, even though I still liked them. But, you know, they were starting to seem kind of childish. And the Marvels didn't at all. So I, I immediately became a Marvel zombie. <laughs> and, you know, at this age, I, I had a bike and I could ride around. So I used to find, like, I would hear about a kid who had a big comic collection and, you know, somebody I didn't really know, like a friend of a friend of a friend, and I'd say, hey, let's go over to this kid's house and see if he wants to trade some of his comics. <laughs> so we would, you know, we would just like ambush this, you know, some poor kid at his house armed with a big stack of comic books. And make him and, trade. And just make him <laughs> trade, you know, put on the high pressure. So, you know, I, I started getting a, a small collection, but. I had this friend who had this amazing Marvel collection that his dad had built for him. And his dad would just bring comics home, whether, you know, his son read them or not. He, that was just his thing. He would every day after work, he'd pick up some comics and bring them home. So he had like every Fantastic Four, every Daredevil, every Spider-Man. He had like, you know, complete runs from the very beginning all the way up to you know, this would have been the seventies. Crazy. And he didn't want them. Like he had kind of outgrown them, but he really liked black light posters. And he particularly liked Looney Tunes characters. <laughs> so, and I could draw Looney Tunes characters and I had access to black light paint. So I would do these posters for him, just original, you know, black light masterpieces. Oh my God. And I, and he would, like I would, he'd say, "Hey, do me a, do me a, a, a Roadrunner." I'd say, "No problem." So I'd go home and I'd find a picture of Roadrunner and I would draw it and paint it in black light and bring it over to him. And he would give me like a stack of comic books, like a foot high stack of comics. Wow! And so I amassed this incredible collection of Marvel comics as a teenager. That is crazy. Yeah, somehow we talked a bit about the comic stuff last time, but somehow that did not come up. That is incredible. I, lo I love the idea of little Bill just doing these like custom <laughs> black light posters. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm sure they don't exist anymore, but uh, who knows? Maybe maybe he kept a couple of them. They'd they'd probably maybe. be worth a little something, you know. And and it's funny too because you know it's it's funny to think that there was a time where there were people that just didn't really care about Marvel or that 
shops didn't carry them because now even people that have never read a comic book, like they, they know what Marvel is. I mean, I don't know. uh, I don't know if you're up on all the new shows, Bill. Like I, I haven't, I admittedly have not watched Captain America yet, but I loved WandaVision. Uh, So yeah, I mean, I just can't imagine someone not knowing what Marvel is. I've been watching uh, both of those. I I finished WandaVision and uh, you know, we're keeping right up to date with, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, I called it Captain America, so I sound like an idiot. But Falcon oh, and Winter Soldier. <laughs> he's in there. Yeah, he's in there. Um, yeah, it was a weird thing because, you know, this was kind of way back before comic shops, like direct market comic stores. Yeah. And there was no diamond distributor. You know, there was no dis- distribution system that supplied stores with everything that came out. Probably whoever distributed comics, they just didn't handle Marvel. You know, it was just a distribution issue. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I know from talking to you before that, you know, you are still a big DC guy, yeah. uh, even though you also like Marvel. But, you know, I just wish, I just really wish that DC could figure out how to make quality like Marvel. I mean, I just, you know, I feel like they're getting to a point where they're sort of figuring that out. But in my opinion... Uh, Snyder cut was not it. So <laughs> I didn't see Snyder cut. Um, but, uh, from everything I, I mean, I heard some people really loved it and I've, I've heard, you know, the whole range of reviews. I don't know. It's, it's really weird because when I was working at DC, that's when justice league came out originally. So I remember we saw a screening of it and, you know, I was trying to be all, uh, yeah, go DC. You know, <laughs> this is great. But then, like, I watched it again on TV, and I'm like, yeah, this doesn't. There was something about being in that theater, and there was like an enthusiasm of being an employee that helps that made the movie seem better than it was. Yeah. And and uh, when I saw it the second time, I was just like, you know what? I can watch those Marvel movies and TV shows over and over and over. And it's it amazes me that, I mean, it's pretty obvious what those movies have that the DC movies don't have. And it it kind of amazes me that there's not somebody who who can sit down and and examine the Marvel stuff versus the stuff they're putting out and say, okay, this is what we need to do. You know, these movies don't take themselves seriously. You know, there's a lot of humor in them, even though they're, you know, action adventure movies. Um, and and they make sense, you know, they're not convoluted. Um, they tell they tell a good story, they tell it clearly, you know, there's no ambiguity about what's happening. Right. Or what the motivations are. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it, the, there just has to be. And, you know, I personally loved Joker. And I think DC would be smart to to try to get more in that lane of, of like, you know, finding a new way to make DC movies that feel different. And not to say that they haven't made great ones. They have. There's been some that I've really liked over the years. I Obviously, as a kid, I loved a lot of the Batman movies and things like that. Um, and I even liked the Christian Bale ones. Um, but there's just something missing. And uh, I'm hoping that they get there. I did see that Michael Keaton is uh, coming back to portray Batman. In, I heard in that. Sense, so I'm pretty excited yeah. about that. I am too. Yeah, that's that's, that's pretty that's cool. cool. I'm with that. But uh, anyway, I guess this is not DC is greater than. So I guess I'll shut up about comic <laughs> books. Um, and we'll talk about the real deal, which is The Simpsons. Um, 
But b- before we do that, I do want to ask you, and this is something I've been trying to sort of bring into the podcast. Um, outside of all the stuff you work on, outside of your career as an artist, what are what are some hobbies that you have, or what are some things that you like to do uh, to sort of wind down outside of work? Uh, I like to collect artwork. So I, I mean, that's you know obviously related to what I do, um, but it's it's more in the arena of um like study like i love to get original art and look at it and study it and there's something about original artwork you can look at the same comic printed on a page and then you know you've got the original in your hand and there's so much more in the original somehow mm. um and i don't I can't always put my finger on it because especially nowadays the printing is, you know, so sophisticated that back in the old days, you'd lose a lot. Like, you know, there'd be a lot of line work and cross hatching and, you know, things in the original that wouldn't make it onto the printed page. Right. You know, cheap paper, cheap printing. Um, You know, when they take the photostat, they, you know, wouldn't adjust it and a lot of lines would drop out. Right. Um, that doesn't really happen that much today, but somehow there's still something about the original that I, I don't know. I just find it fascinating and I, I love to study it. So that's, that's kind of my main hobby. I also collect vintage toys in different categories, mostly Batman. So I've got a pretty big vintage Batman collection. Uh, in fact, at a comic convention a few years back when Batman had his 80th anniversary, I was a guest at a convention called Big Wow which is up in the Bay area of California, um, Oakland, I think it was, or no, San Jose. So the guy who put on the show is a friend of mine, Steve Wyatt. And he said, we want to really celebrate Batman's 80th anniversary this year. So can we borrow your collection for the convention and have it on display? You know, cause he says, we have a big convention hall and we'll have this area roped off. There'll be a, a guard at all times. And Bill said, absolutely not. No, what I did was <laughs> I, I I immediately said yes, because I thought that's so cool. I've never seen my collection all together. Mm, I was going to ask. Because I've got, you know, I've got a limited amount of space in my house. So I have a lot of stuff that's in boxes. Every so often, I'll, you know, bring something out of a box and put it on display. And, you know, but I have to put something else back into a box because I don't have room. <laughs> so, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm married and my wife, um, she loves pop culture stuff. I mean, she's, you know, she loves pretty much all the stuff I love. She thinks it's cool, but it's like, I'll bring something home and I'll go, Hey honey, how about this in the living room? And she'd be like, uh, no, it's <laughs> like, I, I like all this stuff. I think it's cool, but I don't want to feel like I'm living in a 14 year old's bedroom. Oh, trust me, Bill. If I've ever related to anything that's been said on this podcast, it is that right there. In fact, I have uh, people come on and they'll say, oh, like, is your whole house like that? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's hilarious. My wife would never let it outside of this room. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a I've tried so many times. I talked about this recently. Uh, I'm like, yo, you know, maybe maybe I could turn the guest bathroom into like a Simpsons bathroom. I've got all this like bathroom stuff. And she's like, Warren, you don't don't push it. You're not doing that. <laughs> you know, so I trust me, I uh and I, I also relate heavily to 
you know, not having room for something and having to put stuff away. I've convinced myself that it's not an issue that I have stuff stored in my garage as well, but I'm just like, no, this is all stuff that I want. I just don't have room for it right now. Like I've come up with all these justifications to put it away, but yeah. uh, yeah, sometimes I'll walk around this room for 20 minutes looking for a place for one thing. And that is not a joke uh, to uh-huh. anyone listening. That is no exaggeration. It's a, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to complain, but it's hard. <laughs> so, so I think if you're like me, the fantasy is is that someday you will open a Simpsons museum. Yes, right, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Okay, so that's same with me with Batman. So when my friend said I want to do a Batman museum at my show, I'm like, yes, absolutely. So I started photographing and cataloging, and I filled up like 35 boxes of Batman stuff plus like framed artwork and framed posters and, and, um, and it all got shipped from LA up to San Jose for a two day show. Oh my God. So all that stuff was on display for two days. I was able, I was at the show, so I was able to photograph it and, you know, do some videotaping. Um, And then it all went back into the boxes and got shipped back to me at Bongo. Crazy. And it was so much work for for like two days but it's like well but at least you know for two days there was a (laughs) batman museum and it was mostly all my collection yeah i love that i need to see those photos i actually haven't seen that because i i have said this before i think i've said it on the podcast who can really remember at this point someone who listens can tell me um but this is not the first so i've had this collection uh with me for three living situations so i had it when not this collection as it stands right now. It wasn't this much stuff. But when I started it, I was in a very small apartment. I didn't really have room for it. So I don't even know why I started collecting it, to be honest. I didn't have room for any of it. Uh, so a lot of it was stored in under the bed and in closets and all this sort of thing. And uh, then we moved into a house and I was able to have a room. Uh, and then we bought a house. And so I had to move all of that stuff to this house. And I can tell anyone that collects that listens to this, Uh, I do not recommend that. It is a nightmare. It is the one thing that will make you reconsider even having a collection when you have to pack it all up, move it somewhere else, take it all back out. It took me a solid year to build up the, just the nerve to, to get it all displayed again. It took me a long time. I was really overwhelmed by it. So, uh, collecting is, uh, it's not all fun and games, everybody. No, it can be serious. <laughs> and, you know, recently moving from Los Angeles cross country to Detroit, I had to put my collection in the hands of somebody else. You know, um, that was that was scary. Terrifying. I mean, you know, some of the stuff, it's like, I'm sure I can locate this piece on eBay, but some of the stuff is irreplaceable. So there were actually things, there were a few things that I kept with me um, because we we drove cross country because we have, we have two cats and two dogs and we didn't want to have to subject them to a different pet friendly motel every night. Right. And we didn't want to put them on a plane. So we rented an RV and which I've never driven before. I've never <laughs> had to handle like a vehicle like that. Um, and we drove cross country and we stayed at like KOA campgrounds And so the back of the, and I was also doing a Simpsons job at the time. So (laughs) I I don't know if anyone's seen the Thanksgiving of horror poster. I was going to bring that up. I love that poster. So you did that on the RV. 
I did that in the RV in the, you know, there's like a little breakfast area with the, you know, uh, dining table. <laughs> and so I had my, um, had my drawing equipment. I had a light box and every night I would, you know, have to clear off stuff and then set that up. You know, once we got into the campground and got the plumbing all hooked up and the, and the electricity and everything, I would sit down for a couple of hours and work on that poster. Um, because by the time I got to Michigan, you know, it was going to be within a couple of days of the due date. So I had, had, I couldn't waste a week, you know, I couldn't afford a week of not working on it. Sure. So you, so you, you still prefer to draw on paper. You don't, you don't mess with the digital too much. No, I love, I love original art. Like I said, so I, so I still draw on paper, um, for the most part, I ink on paper, although there have been a couple of jobs lately where I've decided to try digital inking um, just for expediency. It's hard. Um, yeah, um, but I'm getting good at it. I'm getting better at it, I should say. Not, I don't know if I'm good. But um, <laughs> yeah, I sort of pick and choose the jobs now that I do that with. So like if I'm doing a job that's just like a general cartooning job and so it's not related to the Simpsons or Disney or any, you know, uh, licensed character. Right. I might go, well, I can do this. I can afford to do this digitally because, you know, it's paying well and I don't have to worry about making money on the back end selling the original artwork. Um, Cause a lot of times it's stuff that nobody's interested in. It's not recognizable characters or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so there are, there have been a few jobs like that where I've um, inked digitally. Um, and then I do, um, if I'm painting, if I'm doing like a, um, like the Spider-Man piece is a full, full on painting. Um, so that's all physical. But if I'm doing flat color, like comic book color, Simpsons style, I, I'll do that digitally. Mm. So it's kind of a, for most jobs, it's like a hybrid. Right. So I start out penciling and inking and then I scan it and then do the color and, you know, all the after stuff digitally. I'm just really happy to know that there's a, an actual line drawing of that poster because I love that poster. Um, and anyone at the Simpsons, you know, you guys have sent me posters before you didn't send me that one. So, uh, my feelings are <laughs> definitely hurt. So anyone that hears this, if you got one laying around, um, no, but that, that poster is fantastic. I think they just printed a, a couple of them. I think the image was mostly, I mean, the purpose was, you know, put it online. Sure. Um, maybe it might have run in some, you know, print publications, newspapers or whatever. I'm not sure. But I think they just printed some for the employees. And I think I think they underestimate how many people would want those because I, I heard the same thing about the iCorumbus posters. Like they were like, oh, I don't think they actually physically exist. And uh, I know they made a couple of the uh, recent posters for the most recent episode. Um panic on the streets of Springfield. And I, I know that they will make certain ones, uh, but I think, it, I think they would, I mean, Fox doesn't need my help making money, but I think they would sell a lot of those if they put them up for sale. I agree. <laughs> um, you know, I thought that panic on the streets of Springfield one was nice. Oh yeah. yeah I, I'd buy that. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, so like I said up top, Bill, I, I wanted to bring you back on for a lot of reasons, but uh, one of them is, when we talked the first time, I don't think before that conversation, 
I don't think even I realized just how much stuff you had drawn. Like I knew you had done stuff for the video games. Yeah. I knew you had done a lot of the packaging, but I, I really don't think that I understood the true extent of the stuff that you've, that you did, the stuff that you drew for the show. Um, so can you help me understand how did you do it? How do you do it still? How did you ever find the time to do all that? Uh, for one thing, I was a much younger man and <laughs> I didn't need to sleep as much as I do now. Um, that, actually, that's not true because I don't really, I still don't really sleep that much, but um, I tire more easily, let's just say. So it's, you know, it's, I, I think I just had a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm. I, I had just bought a house or, I, I think, no, actually, I bought the house in 93, um, and I started doing Simpsons work in 90. So, yeah, come to think of it, it was doing all that Simpsons work that allowed me to buy the house. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Once you buy it and you have the mortgage, then, you you know, it's like a machine you have to keep cranking and, you know, it's, right. it's, it's a, a better analogy is it's like a monster you have to keep feeding. Absolutely. And um, I, yeah, so, and I, I'm also the kind of person that if I'm enthused about something, and I mean, I'm a Simpsons fan myself. So, you know, if you get a phone call from an art director and they ask you, hey, can you draw, you know, this album cover or this Time magazine cover or whatever, you're not going to say no. No, how could you? You're just going to figure out a way to squeeze it in with that dozen other things that you're doing. <laughs> well, well, tell me this. How often did you actually know what sort of product it was for? Like, would would they say, hey, we need Bart on a surfboard or we need Bart holding a can of spray paint? Um, like, how, how often did you know specifics or how often did you know what sort of product they were actually going to use the art for? Uh, most of the time. I mean, I, I worked in-house at Fox uh, initially. Um, or not initially for about six months, I, I did a lot of freelance jobs and then that was what, you know, Fox liked the work I was doing. So that was why they brought me in house and put me on salary. But, um, you know, so when I was in house at Fox, I was working on the style guides. And so when you're doing style guide work, you generally have an idea that this is going to appear on who knows what, (laughs) So you don't really know on the, you know, that's, that's category of images where, you know, you're drawing something that doesn't necessarily have a distinct purpose, but if, if something did have a distinct purpose, it was always in the initial contact, like, you know, depending on who was contacting me, it was, um, you know, we'd like you to draw this magazine cover. We would like you to, you know, this is, uh, um, I remember I did one, piece that I just came across in my archives and it was for a um like a vinyl playhouse mm. have you ever seen that a vi- so not really I don't think so is it like uh the only thing I can think of is I remember this thing was online someone was trying to sell one but it was sort of like a like a diorama but I don't think that's is that what you're talking about no this is like a tent it's like a vinyl it, it has like um plastic poles that you put together. Oh, wow. And it's for, you know, for kids to crawl inside. And and it's like, it was like the Simpsons house. What? I've never heard of that. Oh my God. Very, very small. Yeah. 
Um, wow. Like pup tent size. What what year? And that was early on? That was probably 90 or 91. I can honestly say I've never, ever heard of that or seen a photo of that. So I am, my brain is on fire now. So, so that was one where I, I knew that, you know, when you're drawing it, you're drawing the house in a very distinct way that is the house, but it's really not the house. <laughs> right. Like there's things that are different that have to fit um, the construct of the, of the pup tent of the playhouse, you know? So you're drawing elements of the house, but it's not exactly the same as if you're drawing the house for a comic book or, or something like that. Crazy. Um, and then it's images of the characters doing things all around the house. So it's like, I think it's like Homer chasing Bart and Marge, you know, with a plate of cookies outside the house for some reason, <laughs> like Homer and Bart must be working up a hunger chasing each other around the house. So here's some cookies. Marge always had cookies in those early years. There's no, there's hardly anything where she's not holding a plate of food. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was one of the, that's a, a good example of something that was so specific that I knew those images weren't going to be used on anything else. It's, it could only be used on this one plate play tent. I have got to track that. I'm like, you know, it, no exaggeration. My mind is melting. I, I've never even heard of that. And it, it's possible that when I see it, I'll go, Oh, okay. I have seen that actually. But in this moment, I cannot bring an image of that to my brain. That's insane. Well, I, I can take a to, photo of it for you. Yeah. You I would that. love, I would love to see that. I mean, I'm not going to assemble it, but I, I can show <laughs> it to you kind of mostly unfolded. Yeah. I, I mean, I've even got like some old like catalogs, like Mattel. Do, do you remember who made it? No, I don't. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I've got some old like Mattel catalogs. I've got the Robert Getz books. Um, I've mm. never seen a photo of that. I cannot conjure it in my brain. Huh. Um, yeah. I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to set the internet on fire later. I have to. Yeah. Make. Good. Uh, speaking of the Robert Getz books, um, Somehow Matt got a copy of the first one. I don't know if it was sent to him or he found it somewhere and bought it, but he gave it to me and he inscribed it. And I remember him coming into my office at Bongo and he was like flipping through it with me. And, and he's going, how many of this, how many pieces in this book did you do? And we're going like page by page. And I'm like, did that, did that, did that, did that. Didn't do that one, did that. And he, he was like, wow. So like pretty much every page in this book has something that you drew. And he inscribed it to me, Bill Morrison, this is your life. <laughs> and yeah, I still have that. I still have my copy. That's incredible. Robert has been on the podcast and he listens to this podcast. So there you go, Robert. He actually brought that up, that he had heard that that happened. So Robert, there's your confirmation. Uh, Robert is great. He had very nice things to say about you. And also... Um, that is, uh, that is just a game show dying to happen. Did Bill Morrison draw this? I'm just going to have to start that. (laughs) That's going to be, that's going to be my, my big ticket. That's what I'm going to do. Well, I guess I'll have to be a part of it because sometimes I'm the only person that can answer that. That exactly. It's like, uh, conversely, conversely, there are times when I can't answer that because somebody will show me something and I'll go. 
I don't know. I have a vague memory of doing that, but it doesn't look like I drew it. So I'm going to say no, but it could be yes. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure sometimes you had, you know, you had to approve it or you had to look at it for some reason. And I'm sure in the midst of all the stuff you were drawing, sometimes you do look at it and go, did I draw that? Yeah. I've had friends from high school send me, somebody sent me a, a picture of a drawing of Rod Stewart that I did. <laughs> you know, I used to do rock stars for girls all the time because, you know, it was a good door opener. Yeah. And uh, I was like, geez, I guess I drew that. I don't remember. I don't have any remember uh, memory of drawing it. That's my signature. It's a pretty crappy drawing. So I don't want to admit I drew it, but I guess I did. <laughs> you know, me memories are funny like that because I recently uh, got some old videos from a band that I was in like over 10 years ago off this old SD card. Um, a guy I was in the band with found them and he sent me a bunch of these like random clips. And there are so many videos and clips of me doing stuff. And I have no recollection of doing it. It's like, you know, me putting up a tent, uh, uh -huh. me doing that, you know, just all these things. I'm just like, that. that's me. Why? I don't remember being here, you know? So memories are funny like that. Sometimes they're just yeah. gone. <laughs> yeah. And there's sometimes like, I'll talk to old friends from back in the high school days and they'll vividly remember something that I'm just like, Oh yeah. I have like a vague memory of that. And then something I remember very vividly and they don't remember at all. Or they, you know, not until I mention it, do they go, Oh yeah. Haven't thought of that in, you know, 30 years. Crazy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It happens to me. It happens to me all the time, but it's funny you say that, you know, like you'll look at stuff and you won't remember for sure if you drew it. I, I remember that I posted some ties recently and I do remember you saying like, oh, I actually did draw those. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious, like how often when it came to stuff like that, like say they said, hey, Bill, we need some ties. Would they say, you know, we need a tie with them in a diner or would they say, Bill, we need some ties. What do you got? I was pretty much the latter. Um that that was a really fun project because it was it was brought to me while I was in house at Fox, so there was no real exterior art director. Like yeah, I'm sure you've heard me and other people mention Millie Smythe, mm -hmm. so she would um, do approvals on pitches for merchandise. She would do approvals on final art, final package design, all that stuff. But sometimes things would come in through Fox licensing and I would draw them and then Millie wouldn't see them until afterwards. And then she would either approve or reject or maybe do some last minute art direction, you know, before things went to press. But I remember that the tie thing, I don't remember having any input at all other than we need, you know, a dozen ties, dozen <laughs> tie designs. And I've always been a tie guy. So I, I, you know, I was already sort of aware of like what a tie pattern should look like, um, what are different like uh, classes of ties, you know, like uh, like Paisley for one is, yeah. is an example. So I, did I love Paisley. the Paisley one. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. So, so just things like that. I was, and I, and I would go out to the, um, I remember going out to uh, Macy's, I think. And going to the tie department and seeing, you know, I don't know, just trying to get ideas like, you know, what's selling, what kind of, how far can I go with, 
you know, stuff like that. Yeah, I I gotta say my two favorites are easily, and I'll, I'll post a photo of some of them when I when this episode goes up uh, to anyone listening. But um, my favorites are the one that's just the pattern of Homer bowling, the Bolarama one, and the the diner one. Like I mentioned in the question, is just I, so great. I think the bowling and the diner ones actually were in the style guide. So I think oh wow, did, I think they did a few, or might have been even a different uh, licensee. Mm. But, but there were a few. Um, I remember there was a, a tie that had the family in the convertible car. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one that was used on other products. I've got some folders and I think a notebook or so. I've seen that on some other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The diner one, same thing. I think that was used maybe on, um, you know, mugs and some other things. So there were a few that were not specifically I think maybe the if it is the same licensee, they might have said, you know, we've only got enough budget to pay for eight original designs by Bill, and then we're going to have to fill in the line with stuff that already exists. Crazy, yeah. Nah, those those ties are really great. They're really quality. Um, I I don't have all of them yet, but I'm on a I'm on a quest. There's uh, I've been seeing them pop up more and more. So. Uh, as if I need more things to zero in on. I'm, I'm looking for all the calendars, all of those ties, every uh, greeting card. So yeah, listeners, if you if you if you want to help me out, you know, feel free to uh, email me. I'll shoot you a list of what I need. I just came across a big envelope of greeting cards, so I'll have to show you those and see. Yeah, I would love. I would love. Yeah, I've gotten so many of them, but I know from looking in certain books. Uh, there are still a couple that I, I need to track down. I think there's one line that I have all of them. And then there's one that I'm missing like three or four. Yeah. What, we'll uh, what, we'll uh, talk. The okay. cards are great. There's so much cool art on the cards. I know you did a lot of that as well. Um, just, you know, so much stuff. Um, yeah. At one point, um, I think the card, whoever was the current card licensee at the time, I think probably Millie or Matt, they just weren't happy with the, the jokes. Mm. And so I remember we brought them in house to Bongo and we had the Bongo staff work on them. There's, there's some cards that are really interesting, like, especially for like the mid nineties, like they do like some interesting art styles. Like they, they sort of get like out of the, uh, like some of them don't just have like a clean line. There's some with a lot of texture and cool colors. Like the cards are great. Yeah. When, um, things really kind of opened up in the, I think the mid to late nineties with, um, the licensing and merchandising department at Fox. And I mean, again, that's, that's Millie, you know, I I think she was very, she's, she's always really keenly attuned to what Matt likes. And in the early days, Matt really wanted everything to look as much like the show as possible. But as time went on, she started sensing that he found the bootleg stuff really cool. He liked things that were not drawn exactly correctly or maybe had a different line technique than what you see on the show and she picked up on that and and kind of took it and ran with it so they had some really good designers in-house at fox licensing um this is kind of like after i left when i went to i want to say bongo you know running bongo full-time but i mean i was always at bongo full-time but in the early days everybody at bongo was freelance and then in the mid to late 90s or really more like late nineties, um, you know, they kind of formalized Bongo a little more. So we were all, we all had to like be in house 
Um, so at that point, I wasn't able to devote as much time to the to the Fox licensing stuff. Um, but they brought in some really, really good artists and designers. Um, and I always loved, you know, like they'd come out with a new style guide. And I always loved looking at what they would do um, just to see how they were changing it up. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious. Oh, and, and also, I, I would say that I think you sort of, I mean, obviously the show is as on model as it could possibly be uh, in the modern era. But I, w- I will say, I think some of the animators, I think some of the, some of the people working on the show now are starting to, to get a little bit looser with it. I think I, like I noticed in some recent episodes, like they seem to be a little more fluid, not as like, as like, you know, sharply on model. Um, like, I feel like, I feel like they look a little more comfortable in some recent episodes. I don't know if maybe that's in my brain, but I've noticed in season 32, they seem like they're loosening up just a taste on the model. So, uh, hard to well, say, you know, um, that show has been on so long. I think it's only natural that, and a lot of the people that are working on it now were working on it way back in the day. So it, it just only makes sense that when you've been doing something for 30 years, you want to change it up and you want to, you know, just give it a fresh coat of paint. <laughs> so yeah. Speak. I mean, let it let you know. I, if it were up to me, I get why the show uh, got cleaned up to the point that it did. But I always, you know, I miss that classic twister mouth, you know, oh, yeah. bulgy head Homer. <laughs> I, I love all the like sort of offness, and uh, I, I feel like maybe you know some of those guys are pushing to be a little a little looser. I like it. Yeah, could be. So last time you were on, Bill, we talked a lot about Bongo. Um, we talked a lot about how it started, why Bart was able to wear a blue shirt in comics, all this sort of thing. So anyone that hasn't heard that episode, go back to episode 14, check it out, come back to this one. Uh, but tell me a little bit about what it was like to continue working on merchandise and advertising and all that while starting up Bongo. You were still doing both, right? Right. So because of the fact that I was uh, freelance, I wasn't tied down to a desk in an office for eight hours a day. Um, I could juggle the work that I would get from Fox with the stuff that I was doing at Bongo. And let's see, I started I started at Fox in 1990. So at that time, I was I was in-house there every day. And then at nights and on weekends, I was doing the publishing stuff. So this would have been before Bongo. So it was crazy. I was doing, I was doing my, you know, my eight hours at Fox. Um, then I was working on like the rainy day fun book and the calendars and the Simpsons illustrated magazine and, um, you know, Bart's guide to life, Simpsons uncensored family album, Jesus, all, all the book stuff that Matt controlled because he retained all the publishing rights. Um, but then there would be jobs that the Simpsons licensees wanted like a custom piece of art for, like we talked about. Yeah. So they would pay extra for that. So I would get work doing um, like video game box art or, you know, magazine covers, uh, all kinds of, you know, Projects that were technically under the purview of Fox licensing, but because the licensee was paying extra, they would pay me on the side freelance to do it. It wasn't, I mean, there wasn't enough time for me to do it 
you know, while I was at the desk at Fox. So they would pay me, you know, to work on that evenings and weekends. And then there was the, the um, advertising for the show. So all the TV guide ads. Um, so I had all these different art directors, you know, in various places calling me every day to work on things. And um, I wasn't the only one. I mean, there were a few others, but there weren't that many of us. So um, and I must have been fast because a lot of it <laughs> fell to me. And I, I did do a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I can't really account for all of it. I look at it and I go, I don't know how I made time to do all that, but I did. Well, how, how long did it take you uh, to realize or how long until you didn't need a model sheet? Like, did you did you need a model sheet beyond a certain point? No. <laughs> There's no time for model sheets. <laughs> draw, draw, draw. Um, well, it you know, it depends. Um, after, you know, not too long, I could draw Homer and Bart and the main family members, Krusty. You know, the characters that you get asked to draw over and over again, after a while, you can do them without a net. Yeah, with, with your um, eyes closed, I'm sure. Yeah, but every so often, even like, you know, I have to draw Homer, but he's in a position that I'm not used to drawing him in. So I need to look at, I need to look at the show or I need to look at some animators models or um, some storyboards or something. So I can figure out like, how do I put Homer into this position and not change the design? Right. Yeah. Um, And and I I feel like that's so much more complicated than my brain could ever uh, understand. You know, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's kind of a balancing act, I guess. Um, And, you know, you're not, you're not working in a vacuum. So, you know, I would bounce things off of Millie and off of Steve, Steve and Cindy Vance and even some of the animators, you know, that I got to know over time, Uh, David Silverman, you know, be like, Hey, can I have Homer do this? Like, is this this going (laughs) to fly or is this going to look totally off model? So funny. Yeah. So funny. What, uh, so what do you remember about when the packaging started changing, you know, around 97, 98, uh, that's when they really started getting away from the green, pink, white, and they started going into the full, you know, yellow and red, which I'll never understand why they were like, let's make the packaging the same color as the character. I'll never understand that. But what do you remember about that? And do you have any insight as to, you know, why they started pushing towards that? No, I think by that time, even though I was uh, still doing, uh, merchandise work. I wasn't, I was no longer in house at Fox at that point. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't really privy to, you know, I did some work on the style guide, but all that, all that design stuff that was in that particular style guide, 97, 98, you know, that was all, I didn't see it until everyone else saw it. Right. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd love to know what made them go away. I mean, I, I'm sure that, you know, they want to make packaging that is recognizable from a distance, you know, as Simpsons colors. And yeah. maybe maybe there was too much stuff on the shelf that was green or white or pink. And so they wanted to get away from that. And and not to say that that packaging doesn't look really nice. I mean, as, as you can see, there's there's some in this room as a lot of pink and green, but there's some red and yellow. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's it's always, you know, there's a reason uh, that so many collectors really prefer those like first eight years, because there's something so special about that green. I've always, I've always wondered what, what the real uh, decision was on that, you know? Um, probably that it has sort of a radioactive look, <laughs> you know, cause in the early days, 
you know, the, the one thing about Homer was that he worked in the nuclear plant. Like you mentioned Marge with the cookies, you know, it's like, okay, what's this character's thing? Marge's thing, you know, give her a spatula or put a tray of cookies in her hand. And with Homer, it was the, you know, being radioactive in the nuclear plant. Yeah. That was kind of like pre donut obsession and <laughs> um, pre beer obsession. And I remember Matt saying that the thing that he loved about the concept of radioactive man was that, and this kind of the same with Krusty is like Bart's two heroes were really Homer, <laughs> but Bart didn't realize it, you know? So his hero was a clown that looked like his dad and his dad's a clown to, to the rest of us. I mean, <laughs> yeah. to the rest of us, Homer's the funniest character ever created, right? Sure. Bart doesn't see that. He, you know, to him, Krusty, even though Krusty looks almost exactly like his dad, he doesn't see that his dad, who should be his hero, is not at all, but he likes this kind of doppelganger of his dad. Yeah. And same with Radioactive Man. You know, I remember Matt saying, you know, Homer's the original Radioactive Man because he's been exposed to so much nuclear radiation that if you turn out the light, he probably glows. Um, but <laughs> Bart doesn't worship him, as, you know, as a hero either. He worships this other guy who kind of looks like his dad, but with muscles. Well, you know, and, and, and that's an interesting thing because I, I feel like most people – you know, they, they've heard stories about like, you know, the, the ideas with Krusty, like early on, like, Oh, what if, you know, what if Krusty were secretly Homer and things like that. But it's an interesting trait of Bart's character. If you think about it, because even beyond, you know, radioactive man sort of looks like Homer, Krusty does look like Homer, even, you know, he looks up to people like Nelson. He thinks people like ne the bullies are cool. Mm -hmm. Those people in, in their own way are almost a composite of Homer. They're like pig headed and dumb. Um, so, so secretly Bart really just admires everything about his dad, but only in other people. So that's, right. uh, that's really something to, uh, to ponder on. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, that's, I, I just remember Matt saying, you know, that's one of his favorite things about the Bart hero dynamic is that his hero is right under his nose, but he doesn't recognize it. Yeah. No, that's, that's super funny. And I mean, also that's, that's something I talk about on this podcast a lot, but like Bart, uh, you know, he, he's, he's sort of a bad kid, but I think deep down, he's actually not, if anything, he's like, he's just looking for his own, he's looking for his identity. You know, I think all of us were like that when we were 10. I mean, I wasn't exactly a walk in the park for my mom. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the, the one thing about the Simpsons that was instilled from the very beginning is even though there's dysfunction, um, even though Bart can be a bad kid. You know, Homer can be a bad dad. Um, you know, at, at the same time that The Simpsons were on, you had Married with Children, which is, you know, obviously a live action show. And I always found it interesting that parents, you know, in the very early days railed against The Simpsons because of the, you know, Bart, you know, the bad behavior and... and uh, the rebellion. Homer, yeah, and Homer just being, you know, dumb and... And, you know, doesn't seem to care about his kids. But you look at Married with Children, which parents never had a problem with. <laughs> that's a show where the kids could not care if their dad lived or died. You know, <laughs> the humor came out of the fact that they didn't love each other. They didn't really care about each other. 
And so it was like a weird kind of abstraction of family life in America. Yeah, everyone was miserable in, yeah. in Married with Children, which I I loved as a kid. Um, I, I think that if my if my mom would have spent more time watching it, she probably wouldn't have loved it. But I definitely um, I was a I was a huge fan of both. So yeah, but The Simpsons, I think it got negative publicity because it was a cartoon. Because if you look at, especially a lot of those early episodes, they had so much heart. And even though there was dysfunction, you always came away feeling like those characters loved each other. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And, um, but the fact that it was a cartoon, I think parents were like, well, that's not like any cartoon I've ever seen. You know, Um, I've never seen a cartoon where someone disrespects authority. Well, there's Bugs Bunny, there's Woody Woodpecker, there's like... Come on, there's Richie a whole Rich. Come on, every yeah. everybody. But I think you know it was a cartoon, and they were human characters, and so parents thought, "Oh, that's a you know a human boy. I don't want my kid emulating that." Um, never dreaming that their kid, you know, would emulate Bugs Bunny or you know another disrespectful character like that. Well, it really comes down to in a lot of ways, uh, just not actually sitting down and watching it because I think, I think the main reason for that, and I've, I've definitely talked about this a lot in regards to the merchandise, but putting those shirts out in the very beginning that say, who the hell are you? Yeah. And you know, them hearing Bart say, damn, uh, in the first episode in the Christmas special, Bart says, damn. And I I think those two things in tandem, people assumed it was way worse because even when they would get in dirty jokes, um, they were always so subtle that no kid would actually get them anyway. Like, you know, like there's, I I think it's really just the combination of those shirts, that first episode. And uh, I mean, things were different now. It's tame by almost any standard. So yeah, those, those shirts were kind of a bombshell. (laughs) Um, And yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, kids today would not, they'd look at those shirts and go, what's the big deal. But yeah, Back then, you know, you didn't have, I mean, I remember we had, we had kind of dirty t-shirts when I was a kid, but they were sold in head shops and, you know, only hippies bought them (laughs) and bikers, you know, they weren't sold in Sears and Kmart. Right. Um, So that was a big deal. You know, that was, that, that really shook things up. Um, but you're right. I mean, if you actually sat down and watched the show, you would realize, oh, this is this is a pretty good reflection of most American families. You know, there is arguing, there is disrespect, there is dysfunction. But ultimately, you know, in most families, I think, you know, people still love their parents and parents still love their kids. And, you know, they don't always get along, but that's life. Yeah, that's, that's life. And I'll, I'll give my friend James a little shout out. He made this analogy when I had him on the podcast, but he was, or not even an analogy, but he told me a story where, uh, his mom had always assumed he shouldn't be watching it. And she would be like, Oh, you shouldn't watch that show. Turn that off. And then she sat down one day when he was watching the episode, uh, Saturdays of thunder about the, you know, the, uh, where they build the the derby together, the little the mm-hmm. they build the car together. Yeah, and she saw that episode, and she was like, you know what? Okay, this is actually not so bad. So she she sat down, saw a heartwarming one, and it sort of you know changed her mind. But again, you know, you see those shirts, uh, you know, you hear the the 
what people were saying about the show. And, you know, especially in a time like that, where it was such a new thing to have an animated show like that. I'm sure some parents were just like, I don't have time to deal with this, but you're not watching it. Right. (laughs) It's, uh, it's, it's really interesting to think about. That's something that I, I will, you know, I'm thankful that my mom allowed me to watch it, but I've made this joke a million times. I think that if she hadn't been so busy and if I didn't have a single mother who had to work at night, I don't think maybe, maybe I wouldn't have this room full of stuff. Maybe if I hadn't gotten a little bit of extra time to tune into the Simpsons, uh, maybe I wouldn't have this room. So scary reality that would be. Yeah. How different your life would be. <laughs> it's true. Um, so, uh, Bill, I made a note about this. There was a, a story recently that you told on Facebook uh, about your friend Chris and a particular issue of uh, of Bart Simpson's Treehouse of Horror number 10. I've actually got it here. I'll make a clip of this for everyone that uh, is listening. I'll put it on the Instagram. Um, and I was wondering if you could share that story here because I thought it was really awesome. Right. And uh, I'm sure there's some people that would love to hear it. Yeah, Chris Chris Yambar, um, who sadly just passed away, is a uh, cartoonist and fine artist, a pop artist, entrepreneur. He was a, a police chaplain. Um, he was a minister at one point. Just an incredible guy and just multifaceted and multi-talented. And we met. Uh, back in the very early days of Bongo, um, he was he was one of the things he was doing was running a comic book shop. Um, so he's you know doing his own comics and doing his own art, but to make money, he was managing this comic shop. And he wanted to get Matt Groening to come and do a signing. So he contacted Fox and they put him in touch with the publicity person, and. You know, she turned him down on Matt, but she said, um, you know, I know Bill Morrison, who's at Bongo. Would you like to have him come out? I'll put you in touch with him. So she did. Um, Chris flew me out to Ohio, Youngstown, Ohio, which is where he lived. We just hit it off. We got to be really good friends. So over time, I got to know Chris's, uh, he did a comic book called Mr. Beat, who was this little beatnik character. (laughs) And a really cool character, really funny. So I kind of got to know Chris's sensibilities as a cartoonist and as a writer of comics. And when we, he wasn't really right for the the long form Simpsons comics that we were doing in the flagship title. But when we started Bart Simpson, we decided, so for the Bart Simpson title, let's do shorter stories. Let's make it more like a kid's comic like we grew up with, you know, like Casper and uh, Richie Rich and Archie, where you'd get like five or six stories in a comic and you might get one page jokes and you might get, you know, puzzle or game pages. And we'll still make it really hip and really smart, but it'll be also very kid friendly. (laughs) So once, once we came up with that concept, I started reaching out to some of the cartoonists that I knew who would be perfect for that kind of format. And Chris was one of them. So Chris started writing stories for Bart Simpson. And um, over, you know, the course of a year, I guess, he became one of our regular writers. And Chris started pestering me to let him write a Treehouse of Horror story. Like, that was his next, the next thing he wanted to accomplish. Okay, I'm writing (laughs) for the Simpsons now. 
now I want to do a trios treehouse story because I love horror. Um, and I, I've got all these great ideas for what I could do with a, a Simpsons horror story. So he kept bugging me and I kept, you know, I had to say, well, Chris, you know, the concept with Treehouse of Horror is that we invite guest artists and guest writers to kind of play with our toys, you know? So we don't, we don't really let the people who are regular contributors of the other comics work on Treehouse. That's just <laughs> kind of what we're doing right now. So you're a regular now, you know, so I can't have you as a guest artist because you're a regular. And so Chris being, you know, very tenacious, he tried to figure out a way around it. So he called me one day and he said, Bill, if I can get Gene Simmons from Kiss, will you let me write a treehouse story? And I said, well, what do you mean get Gene Simmons? He's not an artist. So what's, and if you're writing it, what is Gene going to do? <laughs> and he says, well, well, we'll write it together. You know, we'll, we'll plot it together and I'll probably do the dialogue. And I said, well, do you know Gene Simmons? I mean, like, <laughs> is, this, is this something that, you know, is even possible? And he said, well, I, I have a friend who knows him. I know somebody who knows him or I know somebody who knows somebody who knows him. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, yeah, right. Okay, fine. Yeah, okay, Chris. Sure, yeah, man. Yeah, okay, Chris, fine. If you can get Gene Simmons, then ye sure, you can write a treehouse story. And I thought that would be the end of it, you know? Thought I'd button that up pretty nicely. <laughs> and uh, so like a week later, Chris calls me and he says, okay, Gene is in. And I'm like, what do you mean Gene is in? Are you serious? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I just talked to him. He's He's a big Simpsons fan. And he's going to do it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So no, no, no. It's, you know, we're going to, he said, I talked to him. He's in a, he was in a hot tub. <laughs> at his mansion in Hollywood. That, that, like, that's how you know it was Gene Simmons. Cause he was in a hot tub. Yeah. He was talking to me in a hot tub and there were, you know, <laughs> girls giggling in the background. <laughs> oh, okay. I was, all right. Well, great. Okay. All right. Gene Simmons. Wow. We got Gene Simmons. Great. So I told him to, you know, to start working on it and let me know when he had, you know, an idea worked out, hung up the phone. And I started thinking, you know, the treehouse uh, issues would usually have three stories, three or four guest artists and guest writers. So I started thinking, oh, if we've got Gene Simmons, I wonder if we could do like a theme issue, like, like the Monsters of Rock, like all the like maybe we could get more kind of horror themed rock star. <laughs> Cause I, I knew that Rob Zombie had a comic out at the time. So I knew Rob Zombie was a comic fan. I've, I'm a big Alice Cooper fan. So I've known for years that Alice Cooper is a comics fan. There used to be a Marvel comic. Um, there was like a, a Marvel one shot that was based on Alice Cooper. So I thought, you know, this could be possible. And so I started making a list. So I'm like Ozzy Osbourne, um, Insane Clown Posse, <laughs> um, you know, Rob Zombie, Alice Cooper. So I'm making a list of like all the horror, Marilyn Manson, all the horror guys. And I called Chris up and I said, do you maybe know somebody who knows somebody who knows Alice Cooper? And he said, let me work on it. And he said, but, but, 
if I can get Alice Cooper, I get to write that story with Alice too. <laughs> I'm like, okay, fine. So hang up the phone, you know, a couple of weeks later, Chris calls, okay, Alice is in. And I'm like, oh my God, I've got Alice Cooper and Gene Simmons. Now I've really got something. So I've, I really got, this is definitely a theme issue, obviously. So I started on Rob Zombie and I, I knew somebody who got me Rob Zombie's number and I called him up. Very nice guy. Yeah, he seems cool. Yeah, very cool. And he was really excited to do it. Um, ultimately, it turned out that um, he just couldn't work it into his schedule because he was doing a movie. He was doing the follow-up to House of a Thousand Corpses, whatever that was. I can't remember, but yeah. <laughs> and But he gave us the idea. He gave us, he said, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to be able to do this. But if I did do it, what I wanted to do was Krusty the Clown as Captain Spaulding in House of a Thousand Donuts. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty much what he gave us. And I said, okay, and can we, can we put you in it? You know, so that, you know, you're visually in the book. He says, yes, absolutely. So we got Ty Templeton to uh, write and also draw House of a Thousand Donuts, did a brilliant job. Um, and somehow I think when the, you know, when we were figuring out the page count and like what Chris was going to do with Gene and, and with Alice, we had some extra pages. And so I thought this might be really funny to do like a fourth person that's almost like a joke. But, but still somehow fits in. And Pat Boone had come out with an album of heavy metal covers, uh, but done in his style. It was called In a Metal Mood. <laughs> and so, and, you know, he, he really got into the spirit of metal music. And it's, you know, the, I think the cover has him on a motorcycle with a leather vest. And it's actually a fun album, you know, because it's like all these heavy metal classics, but they're all done in a, like a swing and big. Band. I've literally never listened to that, but I, I should. I, as I, that's something I definitely am going to queue up in the playlist for this week. You should. It's got no more Mister Nice Guy, and it's got Crazy Train, and mm. I forget what else, but a lot, a lot of good stuff. But, but all stuff your parents could listen to, and you know, if they didn't listen to the lyrics too closely, <laughs> they could enjoy it. Like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. So, so anyway, we ended up some, I can't remember how, but somehow I got in touch with Pat Boone and he was, you know, he didn't know the show really well, but he you know, obviously knew who the Simpsons were. And he said, yeah, that would be fun. And uh, so he and I, I actually wrote his story with him. So he and I came up with the plot and then I scripted it. I got to draw the Alice Cooper one because I was the editor. So I assigned myself <laughs> So I got to draw Alice and I was talking to Chris one day during the production of all this. And he was telling me, you know, about working with Alice and, you know, something Alice said and this, you know, it's like Alice, Alice, Alice. And I said, I'm so jealous. I said, I can't believe I'm editing a book that has Alice Cooper in it. I've not, never even talked to him. Like I'm doing all of this through you. I was just like, I'm just so jealous of you. You know, I just told him straight out. <laughs> so one night my wife and I are home watching TV and the phone rings and my wife answers and in a very casual manner, she says, hello. Okay. 
May I tell him who's calling? <laughs> okay, just a moment. Like, just like that. Like, no excitement. She hands me the phone. She says, it's Alice Cooper for you. <laughs> and I thought she was joking. And I'm like, my mouth dropped open. I'm like, what? What do you mean? Alice? She goes, take the phone. It's Alice Cooper. <laughs> and so I took the phone and it was Alice. And he said, hey, you know, I've been working with Chris on this story. And I just have to thank you because... He said, I'm a big, big, big Simpsons fan. And he told me he had three things on his bucket list. He says, you know, I've done, done a lot of things, but I have three things on my bucket list. One is to play golf at Augusta. Two is to be a James Bond villain. <laughs> and three is to be a guest on The Simpsons. And he said, I know it's not the show, it's a comic book, but it's, it's the next best thing. So he said, thank you. This gives me bragging rights. Oh my God. And we talked for, you know, we talked for probably a good 10, 15 minutes because we're both from Detroit. So we talked a lot about Detroit and growing up there. And um, anyway, I have, you know, I have Chris to thank for that. I mean, that was one of the, you know, just the coolest, best moments of my career and my job at Bongo. You know, what, what, what an issue. I mean, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, and, and I, I had to have you tell that story. And in fact, I can't, I can't think of a better way to close out this episode than that story, but you know, th this art is just incredible. I mean, did you do the, did you do the cover on this bill? Yeah, I painted the cover. Um, I had to, had to come up with my own designs for the rock stars. So, you know, basically Simpsonized Gene and Alice and Rob and Pat. So great. And, but it was really, really fun drawing Bart in that pose too with the uh, guitar. <laughs> yeah. Anyone listening, if, if you know, if you're, if you're not seeing the image, if you're not looking at the Instagram, uh, Bart Simpson's Treehouse of Horror number 10. Um, what, what a cool story. What a cool history on this issue uh, that it was basically to appease him so that he would leave you alone. And uh, it turned into a, a super interesting issue. One of my favorite covers. So. Oh, thank you. Uh, well, yeah, it's, it's amazing how. Um, Sometimes really, really good things come about by happenstance. You know, you can put a lot of time and thought and energy into planning something to, you know, to make it really good or really special. But sometimes things happen not the way you expect them to happen. Yeah. God bless Chris. And I miss him. And uh, I'll always thank him for that. Yeah, what a what an awesome story, Bill. Like I said, it's a perfect perfect story to close us out on. He seemed like a hell of a guy, and uh, you know, I really really appreciate you sharing that story here. Uh, is there anything else that you want to tell people about before we get out of here? I know you're working on all kinds of cool stuff. So, uh, anything you want to plug? Um, I the only thing is, uh, um, hopefully, this episode is well received, and you'll have me on again because I have an idea for the next time. And um, as I as I go through my boxes of artwork and pull things out, um, like, you know, I sent you a bunch of stuff that I was hoping you could help me identify because there are some things that, you know, I, I remember drawing it. I don't remember what I drew it for. <laughs> it would be nice to know. I don't know. Sometimes if, if there's a, a drawing that I particularly like, I like to have the thing it appeared on. So I've been thinking lately about certain pieces and like maybe going on eBay and seeing, seeing if I can find, you know, the, the final printed piece. Right. The, 
for the piece of art. Um, so, so in doing that, I, I had this idea, which was to, to maybe pull out X number of pieces. I don't know if it's five or it's 10 and send them to you. And things that I think have interesting background information that fans might want to know about. Mm. Um, and so then send you those and then we can talk about those specific pieces the next time we do this. No, nah, that sounds like a great idea, Bill. And if, if you think I would ever say no uh, to bringing you back, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you any chance I get because I there's so many things uh, to talk to you about. So, so I mean, you know, even now, uh, you told me like three things minimum that somehow did not come up at all uh, last time. Uh, so, I mean, there's so much stuff that I'm going to, I'm just trying to dig out of that brain bill. I'm going to get there. Yeah. I would love to do that. We'll, we'll plan you know, that. It's, it's funny. Cause um, this is, I, I've, I've actually dreamt about this or not dreamt about it literally, but I've thought about this in earlier days um, knowing, you know, meeting Simpsons fans, you know, going to conventions, going to signings, going to, you know, all over the world representing the Simpsons and knowing what the Simpsons mean to a lot of people. And I'm speaking obviously directly to your listeners. Um, just knowing that I've always thought sometimes there, there's going to, there's, there's going to come the day when stuff that's in my brain is actually going to be interesting <laughs> to Simpsons fans because it's not stuff that's written down. It's, it's not stuff that most people know. And I've started getting a taste for that. Like when I, um, like somebody will post something on, uh, do a tweet or post something on Facebook and I'll make a comment about it and, and give a little bit of background information. And I love how fans react to that. Like, wow, I never knew that. That's great. You know, that's really interesting. And so I've always thought, you know, someday that day is going to come when somebody will do a book or um, I didn't imagine podcasts back then, but, <laughs> um, you know, somebody's going to want to interview me and know some of this stuff that I've experienced and, and hear the stories behind it. So, um, so I love this. This is like a great opportunity um, for me to just kind of share and, you know, as, as fans, as a fan of other things, as a big Batman fan, um, anytime I've been able to listen to somebody who was there creating the stuff that I fell in love with, that's amazing. It's amazing to hear that, um, those stories and that background info that sometimes doesn't make it into books. Um, it's only, it's only relayed orally. So so this is wonderful. This, you know, I I uh, I really enjoy doing this. So anytime you want to have me come back on, and you know, if you want to get questions from your listeners, specific you know questions about specific things, I'm really happy to answer. No, nah, Bill, that is something I know about. No, nah, I mean it's you know, hey, it's an honor, man. I appreciate that, and I also I feel the same way. You know, part of the reason uh, that I started this podcast is I've always been a person to really try to know everything about stuff that I like. Like I've never listened to a song in my life where I didn't want to at least know what the rest of the record sounded like, what year it came out, who produced it. Like I, that is yeah. just the way my brain is designed. And, you know, I started this podcast as a result of the the pandemic in a lot of ways and, and, you know, finding another way to connect with people. But also 
I did it also to sort of catalog that information, whether it be from people from the show to sort of get my opinions or what I know on record so that I can share that with other people outside of just my Instagram where I show my collection. And mm-hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, that's that point is well taken that, you know, people do need to know this stuff and they want to know this stuff. And I, I found that that sort of thing, like all this little stuff that maybe there was a time where people didn't think it was interesting. Well, Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, they say it's like when people talk about younger generations and they say smarter phones, dumber people, that's true in a lot of, in a lot of ways. But I actually do think that there's a, a lot of people that because the information is there, they actually look for it and want to know it. So, uh, if I can do that for anyone with this podcast, you know, I'm, I'm happy to do that. And also Bill, I'm happy to have you whenever. So we're going to work on our game show. (laughs) We're going to work on another episode (laughs) And uh, yeah, we're just going to figure it out. So yeah, I, I appreciate everything you said, Bill. We'll definitely do it. Cool. That sounds like fun. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out the official Instagram at Simpsons is greater than, or follow me on Twitter at Simpsons is great. If you're curious about me or my Simpsons collection, just search for Bart of Darkness on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for checking this out. I'll see you next week.